0: So remember that a great deal of time has elapsed between when the Israelites refused to go into the land of Canaan. Uh, we're nearing the end of their 40 years of wilderness wanderings. And they are soon to be going into the land of Canaan. Now, let me see if I can do this. I have to do this backwards so that you can see it frontwards. All right? But the Sinai Peninsula is something like this. Alright, and then basically, pretty much straight to the north is the land of Canaan. Kadesh is kind of at, towards the south, just below the land of Canaan. And where they were about 40 years ago was the same place, Kadesh. But they wanted to go, or they sent spies up north into the land of Canaan, at, presumably the way that they would have invaded. And the 12 spies went north, explored the land, and came back down to Kadesh. And then the people refused to go in. So now they've been wandering around the Sinai Peninsula here for 40 years, roughly. And Edom is kind of to the east. And the Dead Sea is kind of pretty much to the north of Edom. What they want to do is they want to pass eastward through Edom and come up past the Dead Sea to the east of the River Jordan so that they can try to enter the promised land from a different direction and presumably that's because they don't want to face the daunting task of going back to the exact same place where the previous generation was intimidated to go in. So here they are trying to pass east so that they can travel ultimately northeast and then back west across the river Jordan to enter the land of Canaan the request is is for the Edomites to allow them safe passage to travel east in this eventual pilgrimage northeast. And that's the basic thing that's happening in this section. Israel is asking Edom to pass through their territory and Edom says no. Let's look at this in a little bit more detail though. First of all, Israel offers various reasons for their request. They appeal to the familial relation that exists between them. The Edomites are the children of Esau. And we remember, back in the day, Isaac had had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And these two were brothers. And... A nation came from each, Edom and Israel, respectively. And so they address this request to the king of Edom from, look at verse 14, your brother, Israel. They're reminding them that though many years and many generations have elapsed since Jacob and Esau lived together in Isaac's household, they're reminding themselves, or pardon me, they're reminding the Edomites Of that familial relation which existed way back when the next thing the next reason that they attach to their request to bolster their request is that they had suffered much this is in 14 and 15 you know all the hardship that we have met how our fathers went down to Egypt and we lived in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers this is well known several generations have elapsed where did the children of jacob end up they ended up in egypt the whole that whole section of the world knows that it was a major uh aspect of the last few hundred years of history if, if, by way of analogy perhaps it would be like if if some caribbean people or or Uh, American people of African descent went back to Africa and said you know how we have fared in the Caribbean and and in America over these last several hundred years and how we were mistreated everyone knows that it's kind of just part of the collective history we everyone knows what's transpired in these last few hundred years and so in a like manner the Israelites say you know how much we have suffered and again remember that we are brothers, and we're brothers, and we've suffered so much, so have some compassion on us, your brothers, and let us pass through your territory. The third reason that they attach here is in verse 16. When we cried to the Lord, He heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Now some people think that this reference to an angel is Moses, which is doubtful for two reasons. One is that Moses was the one writing. So it would be like, it'd be like if, if I said, you know, the Lord has sent an angel to you to plant this church. Right? It would be an exceedingly high and lofty and exaggerated way of speaking of oneself if Moses meant... Himself as the angel who was sent to deliver the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt And that's knowing that Moses was the meekest man on earth. That is not at all a likely Interpretation the second reason why it's dubious to think that the angel refers to Moses is simply that Moses was not an angel and uh, We do recognize however that God appeared to Moses in a burning bush we recognize also that God has been leading the people through the wilderness in the pillar of cloud and in the pillar of fire. Elsewhere in scripture we read that the angel of the Lord went before the children of Israel in their wanderings and in the eventual conquest of the promised land. And so recognizing that God really this really had been a divine deliverance and not simply a mosaic deliverance, it is right to acknowledge that God sent an angel, the angel of the Lord, to lead the people of Israel up out of Egypt and eventually into the promised land. They had been recipients of divine favor. Now, remember the familial relation in which Edom stands to Israel. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And that means Jacob and Esau both had the same father and grandfather, Abraham. Now, growing up in in Isaac's household, doubtless, both Jacob and Esau would have heard of the promises that God had made to Abraham. We read in... Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 8, that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents, listen, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, Heirs with him of the same promise. Now, if he lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob, that means that he lived in tents also with Esau. Abraham lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob and Esau. Which means both Jacob and Esau would have heard what God had said to Abram, recorded in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, Given that Israel was Edom's brother, given that they had suffered much, given that they were recipients of divine favor, and that God had said that whoever blesses Abraham's house, Abraham's seed, will themselves be blessed, all of these things were here strengthening the argument. That the Israelites made to the king of Edom to let them pass through the land. It was an eminently reasonable request. Look at verses 17 and 19. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway we will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Until we have passed through your territory. In other words, we're not going to dilly-dally here. We're going to move quickly and purposefully through your country. We're going to stay on the main road. You don't have to worry that we're going to sprawl out and camp here for a long time. They say no. And Israel appeals again in verse 19. We will go up by the highway. And if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot. Nothing more. They reiterate, this is such... A reasonable request made here. Edom's response is no. We see them reject the first appeal. Verse 18. You shall not pass through, lest I come out with the sword against you. Israel appeals again. But in verse 20, Edom says, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. The response of Edom is simply no. This is an immoral response. Matthew Henry says, It is it is our wisdom and duty to be kind to those whom God is pleased to own. As God had promised to Abraham long ago, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. God expects His people to be loved and helped and supported. It's not neither here nor there whether we help and support and love the people of God. Even in 3 John, we we read in verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may have fellow workers for the truth. We see throughout Scripture that the Lord expects that His people ought to be treated well. That His people ought to be loved That His people ought to be helped. We do not receive the expectation from Scripture that they actually will be helped and that they actually will be loved. That's not my point. But my point is that they ought to be. That God sides with His people and expects them to be loved and helped and welcomed and assisted and so on and so forth. Whatever you do unto the least of these My brothers, Jesus says. You do unto me. Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you needing clothing? When did we see you needing shelter? Whatever you did unto these, my brothers, you did unto me. We ought to support people like these. Edom ought to let Israel pass through its territory. God was in the camp. And to... Not Let the Israelites pass through the land was to not let God pass through the land. It was to resist not only the Israelites, but it was to resist God. It was to fail to welcome not only the Israelites, but it was to fail to welcome God. When we fail to love the brethren, when we fail to help the brethren, when we fail to assist the brethren, we are not doing what we ought. To Jesus. That's what he says in Matthew 25. When, well, what, If I knew it was you, I would have helped. But when did I not help you, Jesus? When did I see you hungry and not give you something to eat? When did I see you thirsty and not give you something to drink? Whatever you did not do unto these, you did not do unto me. It is our moral duty And it is the moral duty even of unbelievers to bless the children of Abraham. And if you are Christ's, as we saw this morning, then you are Abraham's offspring. It is a moral duty to help and assist and bless the people of God. And so Edom's answer, no, was an immoral answer. It was also... An unreasonable response. As we saw the various reasons that Israel attached to their request, they they were essentially kin to one another. They were the descendants of two brothers. The family of Jacob had suffered much. This ought to have moved the Compassion stirred the pity of the Edomites. The children of Israel had also been recipients of divine favor. This also should have made the Edomites see, well, we should help them. God is on their side. We should help those whom God Himself is helping. And again, this this assurance, this promise to keep on the highway, to pay for whatever is used. Very reasonable request. It was unreasonable for Edom to say no. Matthew Henry says, We must not think it strange if the most reasonable requests be denied by unreasonable men. We must not think it strange if those be affronted by men whom God favors. Though the world ought to help. Welcome, assist the people of God, though the world ought to bless the children of Abraham. We ought not to think it strange if they don't, because the world is full of unregenerate men. Whom the God of this world has blinded, who do not understand the things of God, nor can they, for they are spiritually discerned, who suppress the truth. In unrighteousness, this world is full of unreasonable men. We ought not to think it strange if the most reasonable requests be denied by unreasonable men, and if those be affronted by men whom God favors. So, Edom has given an immoral and unreasonable response to Israel here. And this immoral and unreasonable response is rooted in enmity, hatred, disdain of the Edomites on the part of the Edomites toward the Israelites. We remember that ever since they were in the womb, these brothers wrestled and quarreled with one another. It wasn't a a friendly wrestling. It wasn't a friendly quarreling. We read in Genesis chapter 25. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And this is how it played out. After they were born, the two peoples from within her were indeed divided. Esau came to hate Jacob. And as we saw when we worked our way through the book of Genesis, for good reason. Frankly, Esau was a more likable guy. Go read the biblical text. Esau was a way more likable guy. Naturally speaking, he's the kind of guy that you would rather be friends with than Jacob. He was the kind of guy that you would more likely admire from afar than his younger brother. And yet God had said before the two children were born, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. And Esau resented the way that his unlikable, dishonest, scheming little brother always seemed to get ahead. He came to hate him so much that at one point in his life he wanted to kill him. The two brothers were able to go to their father's funeral together. And so it was resolved to some extent. But there was a rift between them which occurred, which was on the cusp of murder at one point. This is how much enmity was between Jacob and Esau. On account of God's divine election of the unworthy, Esau hated and resented that his unworthy brother should be blessed. Should be helped, should come out ahead, should get the birthright. Why would he succeed and why would I fail to inherit the blessing when I'm the firstborn? I deserve it. When he had not wronged Jacob, but Jacob had wronged him, why should the schemer, why should the sinner be blessed and he himself failed to inherit the blessing? This is how it was with Jacob himself. This is how it was. with with Jacob and Esau themselves. And this is how it played out through the rest of history. When Jerusalem fell, Obadiah tells us that Edom rejoiced. This is how it played out throughout history. Edom resented Israel. This is like When you speak to some people and you ask them about their cousin, or you ask them about their brother, you ask them about another section of the family, you say, well, we don't talk. Well, why not? Well, this happened way back when. And sometimes what happened was at the level of like grandparents. But the reality is that even when something happened at the level of grandparents and Say, say, a grandparent argued with his brother. And so even though the children of the one brother and the children of the other brother live within five miles of one another, they have nothing to do with one another because of what transpired in the family a long time ago. We see this. We know this. That's what happened with Israel and Edom. The collective history that was passed down from generation to generation Told the same story, but it told the same story from a different perspective. And the Edomites resented the way that the children of Israel had been blessed, and that the children of Israel had been helped by God when Israel himself had wronged their father so much. So Edom responds, No. And it's an immoral response, and it's an unreasonable response, and it's rooted in enmity. It's rooted in hatred, which was not on account of personal responsibility, you realize. It wasn't that the Edomites hated the Israelites for what those Israelites had done to those Edomites. Rather, it was rooted in what had happened a long time ago between these people and these people. And if you've ever been on the end of a a sweeping generalization, that, you know, all Ritter's guards are like this, or all Aliens are like this, right? Or all black people are like this, or all white people are like this, right? Or all people in a certain socioeconomic bracket are like this. or whatever, maybe all people who work here or all people who drive this kind of car or whatever, like you realize it's it's infuriating, it's maddening, it's frustrating to be on the end of such unreasonable and unjustified hatred. So when the Israelites who had been wandering around for 40 years send this reasonable request to the Edomites and get such an immoral and unreasonable and spiteful response... What would be the natural reaction of the Israelite heart? Well, Deuteronomy 23 and verse 7 says this. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. (laughs) You see, God knew that there was... This propensity to abhor an Edomite. And so he instructed the children of Israel they may abhor you, but you must not abhor an Edomite. We read in Romans chapter 12, in verse 19 Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We read in... Back in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 21. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. There's no vengeance. God doesn't say strike them down. Put them to the sword. God says don't abort the Edomite. Turn away from them. Likewise. As Matthew Henry said, we must not think it's strange if the most reasonable requests be denied by unreasonable men. And if those be affronted by men whom God favors. The reality is, in this world, we will, have, we will face immoral and unreasonable opposition from people. We will face spiteful opposition from people. From those who are not children of the promise. From those belonging to Esau's family, so to speak, instead of Jacob's. We're not better than them, as Jacob was not better than Esau. We're simply those who have been chosen by grace. But because we belong to God, because... We claim the favor of God. There are many who are very spiteful towards us. Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 15 in verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. The most morally right thing and the most reasonable thing for those who are yet unbelievers to do with respect to us is to love us and support us and help us Recognizing God is with us. God is in the camp. And to hate Christians is to hate God Himself. Because God identifies Himself with these people. Christ is with them. They have the Word of God. And the Spirit of God. And God meets with these people. They're the excellent ones in the land. In them should be all our delight. We should help them. We should assist them. We should ask them to pray for us. We should ask them to intercede for us. We should ask them, as they have dealings with their God, to plead for mercy on our behalf. As Miriam had to pray for Moses to intercede for her, when it became clear that God was with Moses as I believe it was Paul had to intercede when Simon the sorcerer had tried to buy the gifts of God and it was clear that God was punishing Simon for this act of great wickedness He turned and said, pray for me. The world, the right thing for the world to do is recognize that God is with us. We are the children of Abraham. If you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. They should recognize that because God has said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever dishonors you, I will curse. The most moral and the most reasonable thing to do is to bless us, help us, assist us. You need somewhere to meet? Here's a building. You need something worked out? Let me do what I can to work that out for you. You need personal assistance? Let me help you personally. I know that you're one who belongs to Christ Jesus. God is with you. Let me do anything I can to help you. This would be right. This would be reasonable. But what we endure is the immoral and unreasonable spite and hatred and opposition from the world. How should we respond? Don't abhor the Edomites. Don't take vengeance. Prepare... For the immoral and unreasonable hatred and spite of the world. Because Jesus told us it's going to happen. But don't abhor the Edomite. Don't take vengeance. We, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like these children of Israel. Many years later. We are living in tents on our way somewhere. Like that passage that I alluded to a few moments ago from Hebrews chapter 11. We are seeking a better country. We're seeking a city whose builder and foundation is God, but we are living in tents in the meantime. And we are passing through regions where those who have not been chosen by grace live. We are passing through regions where those who do not know God live. We are passing through regions where, which are inhabited by idolaters. And as we pass through these regions, Though they ought to love us. Though they ought to support us. Though they ought to help us. They won't. For the most part. Except perhaps in pockets here and there. And they will hate us. Because we are not of the world. But rather, Christ chose us out of the world. And since we do not belong to the world. Therefore... Jesus tells us in John 15, 19. They will hate us. So brace for it. And be prepared to overcome evil with good. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Listen, if Edom says, can I pass through your land, Israel? Sure. This is what we are called to like Jesus the tr- true and better Israel himself in Matthew chapter 2 we read that he and Mary and Joseph returned from Egypt to fulfill what is written out of Egypt I called my son You see, Jesus is set forth to us as the true and better Israel who faithfully followed God through the wilderness and when He was tempted and when He was hungry and thirsty did not grumble but said, It is written and resisted that temptation. Who, when reviled, did not revile in return but entrusted Himself to one who judges justly who did not come to be served But to serve. Like Jesus, who though the recipient of immoral and unreasonable enmity and hatred and spite, loved and served. Let us be like that Jesus. Let us travel in tents on our way to this promised land without bitter hearts without hearts that abhor the ungodly who oppose us. Let us travel in tents like Jesus, loving and serving the Edomites. And let us pray, since we know that it is there is no eth- ethnic restriction on grace since we ourselves are Gentiles who have been chosen by grace to become Abraham's offspring, let us pray for the Edomites around us then who presently hate us for no good reason and are immoral in their spite towards us. Let us pray that they too would be chosen and called by grace and that they too Ironically, these children of Esau would become children of Israel. What is impossible with man is possible with God.